Hello and welcome back to the Shakespeare Birthday Party. I'm Danny Fitzpatrick. And I'm Grace Fitzpatrick. And today we're going to be talking about Henry IV Part 1. So the play is set basically 200 years before the time that Shakespeare was writing. Um, and it concerns the, the recent accession to the throne of Henry IV. Um, his throne is endangered by insurrection. Um, basically through a number of mishaps, some sickness, some cross-communication, uh, and the last-minute uh, <coughs> conversion, we might say, of Henry's wastrel son, Hal. Um, we, find, we end the play with Henry IV's throne still secure. Um, we also meet uh, one of the most memorable of Shakespeare's characters, Falstaff. And uh, so there's a, there's a really interesting blend of the comedic and the uh, troubling historical in this play. Um, so, Grace, I don't know if you want to get us started with some thoughts. Yeah, so I just keep thinking about the nature of the monarchy, the English monarchy, and trying to puzzle out what exactly Shakespeare's own personal view of that is. Mm -hmm. um, because we have this, I guess ideally, when you think about a king, uh, especially in the British tradition, um, there's kind of a divinely endowed greatness or nobility that comes with that. Mm -hmm. um, so when you look at how, who is Prince, he's set to be king eventually, um, he's he's a wastrel um in in the fullness of the word um he just wastes his life mm -hmm. in every way he can possibly think to uh, so his character is so fascinating to me because the whole play i want to think like you know he keeps bringing up don't worry when i when it's time you know i'll be able to you know carry the mantle of my father and be the king of england and what right. have you and the whole time I'm reading it I'm just thinking like there's no way you're just you you haven't trained you you know your mind isn't right uh your cheese not centered as it were uh yeah. there's no way this is going to happen but then by the end of the play he seems to be a completely kingly just transmogrified figure he's articulate mm -hmm. he's noble he's very godlike um and it seems like it takes no effort for him to to switch from being mm -hmm. Uh, kind of a playboy wastrel figure to being, yeah, actually a really, potentially a really good king. Um, so, yeah. I don't know if that struck you in a similar way or a different way. Yeah, no, it was definitely um, strange. And he seems like one of these characters, like, it seems like there are some people who, I don't know, just... Uh, have like for most people the change from vice to virtue is like a long arduous process but it does seem like there are certain people who just like it really is just a like entirely a matter of willpower and just like they just decide they're going to be different one day and all of a sudden they are um yeah, so that was very strange. Definitely also strange in his case because, uh, like, like there's the 
line in Proverbs about how basically like you become whatever company you keep mm-hmm. um, so like you know the one who keeps uh, company with wise men will become wise but uh, whoever keeps company with fools uh, you know will draw harm from that um, and obviously how very much keeps company with fools and that still doesn't seem to stop him from just deciding to become good and becoming good yeah and and not even not even completely like casting off false staff either yeah at the end there like they're still they're still friends um so that is interesting to think about uh I don't know. Do we want to start talking about Falstaff, or do we want to? No, we can talk about Falstaff. Oh, I did want to say before we switch over to Falstaff, though. Um, I love the character. I love how Hal's um, transformation is kind of set up against Hotspur's consistency. Mm-hmm. Like you, yeah. you kind of believe at the beginning, like what this Hotspur guy, like he knows, he knows what to do. Right. He seems like he would be a better king than Hal. In fact. Henry the Fourth is like I wish Hotspur was my son instead of right. you, Hal, um, which of course gets uh, worked out in the end. But uh, you get the sense with Hotspur, like the, his language, the way that Shakespeare writes it is just so wonderful. Um, just the affect is perfect because you, I get the sense that like Hotspur is just like gritting his teeth and shouting every single thing he says <laughs> in mm-hmm. the play. There's just this sense of like sheer exertion um, going on. Like there's no no break from that, no relaxation. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think that's such a good foil for Hal because Hal is so relaxed, he is so natural. And then he ends up being infinitely better, easily better than mm-hmm. Hotspur um, against all odds. Uh, so yeah, I, re- I just really loved that. Yeah. Uh, contrast there. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, no, it is again just like so. I think it's just such an interesting phenomenon that I think occurs a lot where you know you have someone who just like works really hard and like seems to have everything in order, but then there's someone else who just like just comes along and just kind of breezes by and does better than the person who works hard um and it's I, I think probably in some ways it has a lot to do with like the movement of grace um and it's like I don't know I think I think it's one of those things where like you can tell there are some people that God just really enjoys them and like uh yeah i mean we won't won't name names but like (laughs) like everybody everybody knows people who like maybe they're not the best morally like maybe they make a lot of very questionable Mm -hmm. decisions but they still have this like i don't know this kind of radiant Mm -hmm. uh joy about them um that seems in some way probably to be a product of grace and then you have other people who, like, you know, work very hard and, like, try for all the right things, uh, but are still, like, uh, maybe not so likable, um, or, 
maybe just like I don't know, kind of come short of the of the other guy <laughs> in mm-hmm. the end. So I wonder too if I like Hotspur so much because I'm American. Mm-hmm. So it's just like, come on, this guy, like, he's worked the hardest out of all of them. Give him right. his American dream. Just let him be king. Like, right. Why should Hal be king just yeah. because he's the son of the king, you know? Right. Yeah. Uh, so I wonder if that has something to do with, yeah. uh, with that. Yeah. Um, but, yeah, I think that's such a good point about uh, there are just some people who seem to just, they just get by and yeah. just enjoy themselves, uh, especially with the character of Falstaff because Mm -hmm. he is such a peculiar person um like we've been talking all week about like who like who is someone that we can kind of compare him to the closest I feel like I've gotten is he seems like a character from like an Evelyn Waugh novel who is kind of like masking this deep cynicism (laughs) uh with alcoholism and frivolity um and like I can't tell I can't tell if I like him. Like, I can't tell if he's a likable figure. I think he's supposed to be, but, like, I wouldn't... I wouldn't be thrilled to hang out with him myself or have anybody I care about associate with him (laughs) regularly. Yeah. Yeah, he definitely... Yeah, he definitely seems pretty... He definitely seems very unsavory to me. Which, like, it's... I don't know, it's odd because he is he's such a popular character mm-hmm. um but yeah he does kind of have like a i don't know like i could see him as a character in i don't know like a like a will ferrell movie or something <laughs> just like like i could see him in anchorman uh <laughs> just like this guy who's like i don't know just like full of full of wind <laughs> basically just like very funny mm-hmm. um but also just like a complete liar mm-hmm. um and just very willing to lie like even when everyone knows that he's lying um so like kind of like when uh Hal plays the trick on him and mm-hmm. robs Falstaff right after Falstaff has robbed uh other people on the road and Falstaff like you know keeps uh just like keeps on lying more and more about this yeah um and even like even when he's like caught in his lies just like continues is like totally unabashed uh by what's happened yeah he is such a like he his character is so hilarious despite his kind of general disloyalty and untrustworthiness (laughs) um i i would like to read the his soliloquy on honor yeah um not because i have anything particularly insightful to add to it just because it's so funny Mm -hmm. um and so clever so this is if i'm remembering correctly right before the final battle Mm -hmm. um and so the he and the prince um he and hal say goodbye to each other and uh, Hal is like, you need to say your prayers goodbye um, and he says, why thou owest God a death and Falstaff, and then he leaves and Falstaff re- replies tis not due yet I would be loath to pay him before his day what need I be so forward with him that calls not on me well, tis no matter honor pricks me on 
Yea, but how if honor prick me off when I come on? How then? Can honor set to a leg? No. Or an arm? No. Or take away the grief of a wound? No. Honor hath no skill in surgery then? No. What is honor? A word. What in that word, honor? What is that honor? Air. A trim reckoning. Who hath it? He that died a Wednesday. Doth he feel it? No. Doth he hear it? No. Tis insensible then? Yea, to the dead. But will it not live with the living? No. Why? Detraction will not suffer it. Therefore, I'll none of it. Honor is a mere scutcheon. And so ends my catechism. <laughs> and that's the end <laughs> of that. Um, so clearly he's like, I don't know. He's he's sort of like Helen that he has the potential to be a much better person. Mm-hmm. Um, like he clearly has these different skills. Uh, uh, and philosophical yeah. ability. Right. But he just decides again and again to uh, ignore that or to just use use his skills in a frivolous way. Yeah. Um, yeah. Well, it's interesting. So one, just on the honor part, which like in the, definitely in the context of the play, like we get a sense of Falstaff's realism from his honor speech mm-hmm. in a sense his realism in the sense of I guess cynicism here mm-hmm. there's also kind of uh, interesting comparison with Aristotle's kind of opening in the Nicomachean Ethics mm-hmm. where honor is one of the things that Aristotle puts forth as a potential end of human life uh, potential source of happiness because, of course, we get so many uh, so many people who seek the life of honor. Um, so that's one of the things like honor, pleasure, wealth. Um, but Aristotle says, of course, like honor cannot be the source of happiness because happiness must be something that basically is situated within a person. Mm-hmm. Uh, but honor is entirely dependent on external sources. Um, So, like, honor, at least in the political sense, which we are very much dealing with here, where, like, everything, everything that's going on, of course, is within the context of, you know, basically civil war, um, Mm -hmm. constant political turmoil. And so there is something that's kind of right about his speech that... You know, honor is, in a sense, just just a word, um, and it's something that is bestowed on me by someone else. Mm-hmm. So yeah, I um, yeah, he definitely has this kind of philosopher's cap that he puts on. His language is also very rich. I found. Yeah. Oh yeah. And uh, it's also just funny, like how many times people call him fat mm-hmm. uh, in the play, and like. Just mercilessly. Yeah, just like yeah. constantly, constantly calling him fat. A lot of really <laughs> great uh, uh, insults thrown around in this play. Isn't it like pile of human flesh at one point or yeah. something like yeah. that? Like, it gets pretty dicey. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. What do you make of that? Is it just like, just comedy or is there something more? Yeah, I, I mean, I took it just as 
just as comedy in this case. Um, but, I mean, there's... Yeah, I don't know, there is that... Uh, I don't know, there are a couple of, couple of times when the word fat comes up in Shakespeare. I was just that jumped to mind immediately in Hamlet, um, where there's one when Hamlet is talking about uh, the emperor worm, basically, and he says, your fat king and your lean beggar um, is but variable service to the same table. Mm-hmm. Um, and also when uh, Hamlet is described as fat and out of breath, uh, in the in the duel at the mm-hmm. end, um, so I think there is I don't know. There's this sense in which fatness in Shakespeare uh, can be connected both with a kind of a kind of ease in life, mm-hmm. and also a kind of maybe a kind of uh, cerebral approach to life in some sense, just since, you know, Hamlet, of course, is the philosopher, and right. then uh, Falstaff is a philosopher in his own way. Yeah. If anything, it's just a great, like, physical illustration of the life of excess that Prince Hal is choosing to lead yeah, to. for sure. Um, also, another funny note on honor, he you know, has this soliloquy where he talks about how useless honor is. But then, right at the end of the play, he sees Hotspur's body and stabs it and wants to claim it as, uh, you know, his spoil of war so that he can become a duke or something. Yeah, for Um, sure. So he he definitely won't turn his nose up to honor if it's going to get him any kind of material gain. Right. Uh, Which, you know, we can talk about whether or not that's actually honor, but uh, he certainly understands the power that worldly honor uh, can give a man. Yeah. Uh, and also, I liked that you brought up Aristotle because of the. It reminded me of all the like ancient Greek war hero imagery mm-hmm. they had for um, Hotspur and Hal, like right before their duel. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. Like that <laughs> when the uh, messenger comes. Okay, I can't remember. Is the messenger coming to Hotspur to describe how Hal looks on the battlefield, or is a messenger going to Hal to describe mm. how Hotspur looks? I think it's the former. Um, I think so. But at any rate, this messenger must have been like some wannabe Homeric poet or something like yeah. that, because he just gushes like it's a little yeah. much. Um, yeah. <laughs> but yeah. but they but Shakespeare sets up. Uh, just this grand uh, godlike display where we've got Hal and like all of his accolade and glory um, and Hotspur who's just been like this mega warrior the whole time but um, we've moved we've kind of transcended like the English uh, historical reality at this point and it's mm-hmm. just like it's almost I don't know it's it's epic um yeah. What he moves into, um, I loved it. Yeah, yeah. Well, it is it is interesting too because we we kind of conclude with this single combat, which is very Homeric 
mm-hmm. as well. And like single combat and also just like the respect within the combat I mm-hmm. thought was really good how they spoke to each other beforehand I mean obviously they're like dread adversaries but um, you get the sense that like Hal especially has just like this deep seated respect for Hotspur um, yeah. before and after mm-hmm. yeah whereas someone like Falstaff was just <laughs> Stabbing him. Right, yeah, let me just... Yeah, after having pretended to be dead. Right. In order to survive. (laughs) Yeah, he's kind of like, uh... He's kind of like Baloo at the the end of... That's who he is. That's who we've been trying to think of this whole time. When, uh, we think he's dead. Yeah. And, uh... Bagheera is kind of eulogizing him. Uh, <laughs> he gets back up. He's such a blue. Yeah. Yeah. I don't know. I really enjoyed this play. Yeah. Yeah, I'm excited to go on to part two. Yeah, it's great. I don't have... I pretty much have no experience except for us reading Richard III and now this play with the yeah. history play, so I'm just like, yeah. what's going to happen? Yeah, this was... Yeah. <laughs> Absolutely the first experience of any of that I've had. So yeah, and yeah. it is you know, it's I think it's very interesting just to compare like kind of like we said, this of course is set about two hundred years before mm-hmm. Shakespeare's time. Right. And so it's kind of interesting to compare like the allure that there is for us today, like you think about something like Hamilton, um, mm-hmm. that's at kind of a similar historical remove. Um, and I think also a, a kind of remove in terms of like political stability. Um, like I think in, in some sense, our time is uh, somewhat similar. Uh, to Shakespeare's just in terms of like the kind of even if there wasn't an absence of uh, like external turmoil like at least fairly uh, smooth uh, political period mm-hmm. uh, so yeah there's definitely there's kind of like that looking back on period of political turmoil that has that, that real interest I think uh, but can also be, I think there's a danger if it becomes too much just entertainment and not, I don't know, much of a, like a real historical event for mm-hmm. people. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and that's another, I don't know, that kind of makes me circle back just to the idea of the monarchy and... I'm, I don't know, it's so confusing in a way to me to think about how if Shakespeare believed that there was this like divinely endowed power coming with uh, becoming the king of England, you know, how, how can that be reconciled, that power be reconciled with having to fight tooth and nail to stay king? Because it seems like as soon as you become a king, 
in, in these history plays. It's just like everybody yeah. wants you dead. Yeah. Um, everyone For you sure. thought was loyal to you probably will break at some point. Yeah. Uh, so there is that specially kind of British turmoil that comes with the monarchy that we don't really identify with um, mm-hmm. in the same way. Yeah. Um, but there is That's still that, that chaos. Um, yeah. In whatever whatever governing body you have in a yeah. country, right? For sure. Anything else that you want to go over? I'm just I'm raring to go for part two. Yeah, sounds good. Yeah, Can't so wait we'll, to see what happens. Yeah, same. <laughs> yeah, so we'll cover that next time, and uh, we'll go for there from there. Thank you for joining us for another episode of the Shakespeare Birthday Party. See you next time.